Welcome to the Memora Health Care Delivery Podcast. Through conversations with industry leaders and innovators, we uncover ways to simplify how patients and care teams navigate complex care delivery. Hey everybody, this is Manav here from Memora Health. Very excited for today's podcast, getting to feature one of my board members and also somebody who's become a good friend and somebody who's uh, probably one of the most experienced folks in, in digital health as an entire industry, Todd Cousins. Todd, thanks so much for coming on. Glad to be here, Manav. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, you have a, an interesting background, both in healthcare and, and a little outside of healthcare. Would love if you can maybe just start by sharing your story of, you know, how you ended up getting into healthcare, what you were doing before, and then what that journey has been, you know, looked like having been a founder, having been an investor, and what all you've done over the past several years. Yeah, I, I got into healthcare by chance. I was uh, training for the Olympics and sailing. And sailing is, you know, yes, it is an Olympic sport. It's an expensive sport too. And I needed money and I didn't have any money. So I got a job selling cardiology equipment for Marquette Medical and really liked that. And when the Olympics were over, I went full time to Marquette and then at a meeting at the headquarters one day after I was, I became number one salesman in the the country within 18 months because I still had my competitive juices flowing from the Olympics. And the founder said, uh, hey, who wants to go to Europe and set up our European organizations? And I said, anybody speak a foreign language? I said, yeah, I speak French. I'm going to Paris. So I lived in Paris and set up their European operations, built that out, and later took over international and sales and effectively became the COO of the company and took it public with the founder and had a great run as a public company. And then we sold it to GE uh, in the late 90s. And Stayed at GE for about a day, and then I took proceeds of that and started PISIS, which is an EMR for the high acuity areas of the hospital, OR, ICU, emergency room. And we built that up, 2,000 hospitals, 23 countries, about to take it public. We sold it to United, and I stayed on and worked at Optum in in various roles as as Optum was getting launched. And and then I went from there to uh, Sequoia. And Sequoia Capital, we all know who they are, what they do, and what their track record is. But they had not been in healthcare uh, for quite a while. And, and with the kind of digital health boom that was starting, uh, they had made a couple of investments with a young guy named Mike Dixon, who sourced Health Catalyst when he was 26. And he sourced uh, MedExpress. And so I joined as a senior advisor uh, at Sequoia. To help them build out the healthcare practice, working closely with Mike and and had you know, Doug Leone and Rolla Botha and so others as as co board members on companies. So I really learned the investing trade from the best investing shop in the world. Had a great run there, and from there, the, my only issue with Sequoia was just because of who they are. They they they've got the best network in tech, but. Uh, healthcare was kind of a, a new direction for them. And it was de- kind of destined to be about 10 to 15% of what they do because this is the boom times. This is when they were doing WhatsApp and Instagram and uh, Airbnb and Zoom and uh, and all the others, Snowflake, et cetera. So I had the chance to start my own fund in conjunction with Lyrink, the, as you know, the largest healthcare focused investment bank and uh, partnered with Jeff Lyrink. had known him for 10 years. And he wanted to, like many investment banks, they wanted to set up a principal investing arm. And he decided the first one to do was uh, in growth equity and in digital health. And so we started fund one together. I had to figure out who I was going to start it with. And 
you know, I couldn't pull Mike out of Sequoia. He just become partner. So I picked uh, Jared Kesselheim out of Bain, and who was unbelievable academics at Bain and uh, at Harvard in uh, medical school, undergrad, business school, but more importantly, eight years, very successful investing at Bain in the digital health area. He was kind of a competitor, but we also looked at a lot of deals together. And, you know, getting him out of Bain was not easy because he had the next 30 years of his uh, life planned for him, but was able to do it because he kind of had the same feeling about digital health that was growing and there wasn't enough uh, attention being paid to it by these generalists. And also, it's very hard for generalists to understand healthcare. You know, bringing a deal across the finish line, like, hey, I've got this fantastic new product that uh, helps payers close gaps in care and uh, to, to increase their star and scores. And people are looking around the table and like, what did you just say? Can we parse every word of that? So anyway, we, we started Fund 1, $315 million, and we invested in 15 companies and had a good run there. And then Fund 2, we raised during the pandemic, $500 million. Mike did eventually join us from Sequoia because he had become a man on an island over there. We still you know, work very closely with them, and I still have the highest regard for that firm. And, and so that was the genesis of, of uh, our investment in Memora was in Fund 2. We just closed Fund 3 January, right before... Herr Putin uh, invaded Ukraine, which was good timing. And uh, we've got a great team. Everybody on the team is 100% focused on digital health. We've built out portfolio services, acceleration services like Julie Merchantson, who came from Health Evolution, and Robin Mercer is probably the best sales ops, commercial ops person I've ever seen. She works with our companies. Robin Borg on the talent side, some great partners around the table, Scott Rosen, Vinay Shaw, and a bunch of great associates with the digital health background. So that's us. Uh, that's awesome. I'm going to rewind really quickly just to the beginning and, and ask, how did you get into sailing in the first place? Oh, I would started sailing uh, when I was a kid and uh, sailed a, a boat called a Star Class Boat out of uh, Chicago Yacht Club. And at my club was a gold, bronze, and silver medalist in the Olympics. And I, you know, obviously would look up to those guys like they were gods, but it was also great because it was like going out to your local golf club and uh, playing with uh, Jack, Arnie and Tiger every weekend. So I learned a lot. It was kind of like being at Sequoia. I, you know, I jumped into the arena with, with the top people and yeah, they beat my ass, but I learned a heck of a lot from them. And, and that gave me the, you know, the, the desire to, to go for it. And I picked a great partner, a guy named Peter Wright, who was kind of a savant in the sailing world. And uh, we did three Olympic campaigns and, you know, won a bunch of stuff. Unfortunately, not a lot of money. There's not a lot of money in sailing, but a lot of glory, I'll tell you that. And uh, and that was it. But I knew that sailing was not going to be my career. As I said, I got lucky and uh, jumped into healthcare and yeah. and that was that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you've seen a lot of evolution in healthcare from, you know, the days where EMRs even were a new concept to now where... That the concept of a practice or a health system existing without an EMR is is one that is foreign to everybody. What do you think has changed the most in the past, call it twenty years, in the industry and how they they think about technology? Well, there's two things that the, the two biggest changes are this you know 100% focus on fee for service healthcare, where the only way that doctors and hospitals get paid is by doing more procedures, and voila, what do we get? We get too many procedures. And that's the whole emphasis, you know, behind value-based care. Value-based care is kind of, you know, there's kind of a knock on it because it hasn't progressed. But, you know, if you think about Kaiser, if you think about 
and Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage is the largest value-based program out there, and it's wildly successful. So, But the other area is the EMR. The EMR was the game changer. Uh, before 2009, 5% of doctors and hospitals had electronic medical records. And then Congress got together finally in a bipartisan way, a word we don't hear much anymore, and they enacted the High Tech Act as part of the stimulus package that came out of the 2009 financial crisis. And that was basically giving $39 billion of free money to hospitals and doctors to bribe them to put in electronic medical records. And they did. They did it fast. They did it furiously. And there weren't a lot of rules around interoperability, et cetera, because it was stimulus money. If they had to wait for interoperability to happen, as those so-called shovel-ready projects that we talked about back then, would have taken years so to to spend the money. And so we got out there and that created a duopoly basically between Cerner and Epic. But what it did was it laid the digital data foundation layer for the hospital, which they never had before. So if pharma wanted to see how their drugs were doing, they'd take paper records off the shelves of hospitals and, you know, put them into computers and, you know, long laborious process and you know, there was, there was just an uh, archaic way of doing things. Everything was done on facts and sticky notes, spreadsheets. So that changed the game. And EMRs are fantastic data recording tools. You know, they've got a long, long way to go. They're still, if you talk to doctors, they spend two and a half hours at the end of every shift going through their EMR inbox. And they're re- really good at recording data. And that was the genesis of the digital health boom. Thousands upon thousands of companies were formed after th- 2009. And to the point where we got to 95% of doctors and hospitals with electronic medical records and by 2016, 2017, that's when we started Fund One. You know, it's kind of funny when we raised Fund One, the LPs were out there saying, is digital health big enough to raise a fund? And now when we're raising Fund Three, they were saying, you guys are in all of digital health. How do you manage that? <laughs> so it has really come around. So it was that was the genesis that gave the data for pharma to build tools that get their drugs to market faster. Employers were able to take on digital solutions to manage conditions that they weren't getting from their third-party administrators or their brokers. It gave the genesis for payers to automate their archaic systems and processes. And we've had the emergence for the first time of the healthcare consumer because now they could go online and manage their care that they weren't getting because it's too difficult to get an appointment or it's too cumbersome, it's too costly to pay all the co-pays, et cetera. So that was the boom, that, that was the big change and everything we're seeing today keeps layering on top of that. So now we've got data. So now you see all these data solutions in every industry, in pharma and in payer and provider around analyzing that data. You've got workflow tools, what I call EMR 2.0, which I'd put Memora and others in that category taking the EMR data and taking it to the next level, which you guys do nicely, but many other companies are doing as well in different areas. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 valuable perspective. What is maybe like the one trend, and this is a, a bit of a controversial question, so let's uh, let's see where it takes us, but what, what's maybe the one trend that you've seen come as a result of EMRs getting implemented that you are not bullish on, right? Or maybe a wave of companies that are coming to market that you think are are necessarily not adding value to healthcare. Oh, that's a that's a deep and long question, but you know, the EMR is a great data recording tool and it does it extremely well. Yeah. What's one what's maybe to rephrase that like ne- a negative side effect 
of EMR. The negative negative side effect is that it does create a lot of work. Yes, the old paper flow sheets probably didn't have all the data that they needed to have. Now there's almost too much data and all the tasks and all the follow-ups you've got to do with the EMR to manage an episode of care, for example, all the manipulation. I mean, what other industry has uh, brought on a whole group of companies called scribes? These are this is going back to the dark ages. These are humans that walk around following doctors and inputting data because it's so cumbersome for them for them to to enter data on their own. I mean, that just gives you an idea of of the uh, excess work that that happens. So, but I do believe that there's a whole wave of companies that are taking that data, taking those workflows and automating them and making them much easier. So as I said, there's a two, EMR 2.0 coming on. It's not one company. It's not one trend. It's it's a bunch of companies that realize that there's a gap there in between the amount of data. And you know that's in analytics, that's in workflow tools, that's, in, that's where a lot of the AI and, and, and uh, machine learning effort is going. And uh, so you're seeing a lot of uh, boom there. There's been you know, many companies that have tried to attempt this. Some of them have fallen by the wayside. Some of them have grown very, very much, but there's others that have, have really hit the mark with a, I think what's been missing also is that, you know, we talk about being physician-centric and we talk about being patient-centric. What we don't talk about is being episode of care-centric. The episode of care, the longitudinal episode of care from pre-hospital to in the hospital to post-hospital to post-acute, to in the home, and that continuum and all the data around it, and not just the caregiver having those tools, but the patient not only to be informed, but being engendered to react and to uh, know what's happening during their, to be informed and to do their follow-ups. And if you can make very dead, simple, easy to use software on the patient side, now you've got the interaction between the caregiver and the patient which helps both both of them. It's a win-win. Uh, you're going to have better outcomes out of that because you're looking at the whole episode. And, and that's also going to play into value-based care, where it's not just a simple procedure that gets you know paid for. It's the episode, and a good outcome gets you a bonus. Bad outcome, you eat the cost. And so these tools that are automating you know, around the episode of care and the focus on the episode of care, interacting with the patient and the doctor simultaneously, I think are some of the winners. Yep, hundred percent. And and also, you know, it's an interesting one. I think it's something that we've come across a lot as well. Of you know, historically, so this transition of healthcare moving more and more outside the walls of the hospital, the rise of EHRs and kind of the implementation of EHRs has provided this foundation of data, which which is what well, you mentioned mainly around how that patient is performing when they're directly in front of you, which is 1% of the time. The remaining 99% of the time when that patient is not in front of the, the care team, there's still so much room to build infrastructure to be able to collect all that information, structure it, be able to track how they're performing, be able to make recommendations and things like that. That is is a core thesis of sort of where Memorial Institute as well. So that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, a patient uh, has a condition. First of all, they got to find a doctor. Maybe they'll be lucky enough to find a doctor in an EPIC-based system that has EPIC and ambulatory and EPIC throughout the hospital. So there is some continuum of data there, but there isn't much continuum of that. That's good for the caregivers, 
except for the additional burden of you know manipulating these these complex systems and entering all this data and manipulate as i said answering their inbox but invariably if they're in a in in a clinic it's going to be a different emr and then when they get into a rehab center it's going to be a, maybe a physical therapy emr and you know none of these systems are integrated talk to each other you know there's there's no overarching data lake that brings all their data into a pool and so and then it's the app it's not just that it's the workflow it's it's how to simplify the workflow so i can just click on something did you take your meds today boom yes i'm interested in it because i'm not just giving feedback i'm getting reports on how i'm doing relative to what the care pathway is uh, etc and that is you know what we saw early days at memora and you know we're we're in other companies that uh, do different things in the, along the workflow dexcare for example you know, they bring in like 30% more right. commercial patients to hospitals and vital informs the patient and, and the loved ones what's going on in their emergency room uh, encounter. So there, there are a number of them, but I, I see Memora as, as one of the, the leaders in what I call this, this EMR 2.0 advance. Yeah, 100%. Cool. So, so last question for you is you've obviously seen a lot of innovation in healthcare plus have seen this, you know, and obviously have had a chance to invest uh, prolifically over the last couple of years as digital health is really just starting to boom. I think one just underlying kind of fact is that sure, all these new dollars are flowing into digital health, all this innovation has happened. Our ability to deliver care and our cost of care has only gotten worse, right? So the question for you is, what kind of makes you most optimistic around where healthcare is headed as an industry right now? What gets you really excited about, you know, all the different changes that are coming in the coming years that are going to help us kind of steer the ship in the right direction for healthcare as a whole? Well, you got to put this in perspective. I mean, we're in the still in the very early innings. I mean, we 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, we had a completely paper-based system. You can't say that about any other industry, finance, banking, insurance, what have you. They've all digitized for, for years. And healthcare finally started to digitize only uh, that period. You know, I think it's, you know, 15 years more before value-based care, you know, really rolls out to, 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 the, to the extent that, that we all think it will. And that hospitals will, uh, and, and doctors and workflows around the continuum of care will be completely digitized to the point where, you know, there, there's still hospitals out there where you still have to do a lot by flat, by fax, for, for, for example. It's amazing. One of the prestigious hospitals in, uh, in my area of Boston, you know, still has a lot of that going on. So we're a long ways away from you know, where this is going. When you bring in, you know, some of the things we're doing on the data side, the analytics, the intelligence that we can, can gain, the interoperability standards like fire when they get you know really really proliferated you know you're going to see a lot of great things happen to systems talking to each other the systems still don't talk to each other today you know, companies like Lamora are being incredibly ingenious about how they make that happen you guys and, and others have, have been able to, to to crack that nut uh but it has to be a much more generalized approach so when all that comes together we will be a fully digitized system and we have, you know, only one way to go, but to everyone's going to have the same information. You're going to have, you know, transparency across payer, provider, consumer, patient, pharma company, uh, employer, 
And with that transparency, um, there's only one thing that can happen is that the, the overall cost of the system is going to go down. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on. This is valuable perspective. Some of it even new for me and, and hopefully helpful for the rest of the folks listening and, and excited to hopefully have you on again soon. Really happy to be a part of this and uh, love to see you without your glasses on with your new LASIK surgery. So uh, <laughs> now, now that you can, now, now that you can see it, we'll, we'll, you know, uh, it'll be uh, even better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Todd. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Memora Health Care Delivery Podcast. For more ideas on simplifying complex care for care teams and patients, visit memorahealth.com.